Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Hello and welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry, with me is George. Hello everybody. And on this, our 24th episode of Sega Talk, we are going to be covering another game that started in arcades, moved to the Sega Saturn. I am, of course, talking about, actually I could be talking about a ton of games, so I don't know how that means. <laughs> yeah, knows. I know. People are like, oh, of course he's talking about, uh, we're talking about Last Bronx. And so, uh, Let's get into it. So Last Bronx, it was released to arcades in 1996. It is known in Japan as Last Bronx Tokyo Bengaichi. Uh, cool name. Well, Bengai, what does that mean? Because Bengaio is a game. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm assuming like battle or something. I had, I, I mean, we could look it up. It could it's like be. one battle because itchy means one, right? Yeah, yeah, because, so. well, we'll get into the story, but yeah, Tokyo kind of plays a part. So Bangaichi, maybe like Tokyo Battleground, I want to say. Um, it is a 3D fighting game from Sega AM3, and the game was ported to the Saturn in 1997 and to PC in 1998. So they were really stretching this thing out. Um, oh, yeah. The arcade original ran on the Model 2B CRX hardware, which is an enhanced Model 2 with an upgraded geometry engine and increased video RAM. So, of course, my first question is, what do you think about increased video RAM? No, um, what <laughs> What are your earliest memories of Last Bronx? Um, I, I, I bought this game. I, I never played the arcade version of the game. I don't even know if it's... I didn't even know there was an arcade version of this game until maybe like five years ago. Mm. I've never seen it in the wild. This is one of those games that I never really heard anybody talk about. Uh, I bought it because there was this video store going out of business when I was younger. And when they were trying to get rid of their Sega Saturn stuff, they had this game. And uh, I, I basically just bought it off the cover because they had anime people on it. Mm. Like, that was basically, you know, when you're younger, it's like, hey, look, there's anime characters. That's good enough for me. And I purchased it and i i really liked it because it really i thought stood above other games that amt uh well sega was making i didn't know about the teams when i was younger mm -hmm. but i do know it was sega and i it felt like it was virtual fighter or like like uh, on the engine or something you know how, when you play a game and you're like oh this game reminds me of this game but it's different it's kind of like uh afterburner and like outrun you could like right. see the influences like the you know the the way that they scaled the graphics yeah this reminded me of uh virtual fighter uh so i thought it was cool it was like an anime virtual fighter and that's why i really liked it i'm glad you have you I'm, I'm glad you have so many memories because i'll be honest this is one of those games i really didn't know about until like i started doing you know like sega blogging and so I, I'm, yeah, it's like one of those games that not a lot of fans talk about. Yeah, I, I really feel like I probably learned about it um, on the Saturn Junkyard, you know, that blog. Because mm -hmm. they'll talk about, like, they'll do, like, what are the most underrated games, yada yada. Or someone's like, hey, I just picked up this, uh, you know, this game. Like, I'm here seeing here. So, uh, well, here's one. So, here's an article posted in 2009 called Cool Gaming Intro last bronx and they just posted the video of the intro and that was pretty much their article um 
But, you know, like seeing stuff like that from the fan community, you're like, well, I want something, I want to check out something unique and, and outside of the usual Virtua Fighter. And so that's where this game kind of came about. And I remember people talking about it saying, you know, if you like Virtua Fighter, you should definitely check this out. It's a little different. It's a little more like, um, uh, what's that game? Soul Calibur? Soul Calibur? Yeah. Yeah. And, um... And so I did, and I actually, I, I bought this in February of 2011, and I remember that because I searched my emails before we recorded and found the eBay auction. So, oh. yeah, so I got the game. I still have it here. It's, you know how Saturn boxes get, like, destroyed to hell, so, like, oh, the corners... You just, like, stare at them. Yeah. If you, like, look at them too much, they'll start breaking. Yeah, so the, the cover clearly does not stay on, but um, it's brand new. Can you guess how much I got this for? Um, how much, like, I, I, I thought this was a cheap game, but like, I've never really looked into it because I already owned it since like a long, since I was young. So, so I never really, yeah. So I got it for five bucks complete. Yeah. That's what I thought. Came with a yeah. uh, $4 shipping. I just checked now. Like I was afraid. I thought I was gonna be like, man, this is one of those like $150 games or something. It's still like 25 or 30 bucks complete. Like a US and it's, one. it's worth it. Yeah. Considering all the inflation price in Sega Saturn titles, this is definitely a worth it game. Yeah, yeah. And um I mean if if you don't own this and you own a Saturn, you pick it up for sure. I mean, we haven't even talked about it yet, but like that's insane. I wish that most games had this type of, you know, like change in price over the years. Like this is eight years ago and the things only increased twenty bucks. And I might have yeah. got it for cheap. Like, who, you know, for all I know, this thing's probably like 15 bucks back then, and I got it for a good deal. Um, yeah, so that was, that was my memory, was buying it off eBay. Uh, not too much to say. Um, but I think if I saw it on a shelf, it probably would not catch my eye because it's, it's kind of a bad cover art. I don't know. What do you think? I, I do. I do agree with you 100%. And it wasn't because the art was great. It was because, like, when... Uh, that video store was like they were getting rid of their Saturn games. Yeah, like they only had a really few games. So, like it was Lance Bronze and like a, a football game, or you know what I mean, like those other games you don't want. So right. it's that that makes it easy to purchase. But I agree with you. The uh, American box art is like one hundred percent Sega of America trying to be like this is a three D game, guys. Please buy it. Yeah, and I mean to be fair, the back of it actually does do a good job selling it it talks about the weapons talks about urban brawls um it has here uh, eight authentic martial arts weapons eight kick butt fighters so they do a good job selling it it's just i don't know like it, it definitely and we'll again we'll get into you know why this might have been kind of pushed to the side by sega um as it released but um yeah so while most Sega's 3D fighters were developed by AM2, Last Bronx, as I mentioned, was created by AM3. For those who don't know, AM3's previous titles include Virtualon, Gunblade New York, Rad Mobile, and Star Wars Arcade, as well as several other games in various genres. However, rail shooters, sports, and over-the-top career simulators seem to be the most prominent. And by over-the-top career simulators, I mean some of their later <laughs> games like uh, Crazy Taxi and... Um, Oh, I just forgot the name. I didn't put it in the notes. It's the jungle one with the lasso. Have you ever played that? Um, let's go jungle. I think no, or something like that. That's the thing. It, it's it's in a jungle, but it's not let go. Let's go jungle. I don't think. But I, I played that once in an arcade, and it is awesome. You basically drive 
a car like Crazy Taxi, but there is a lasso like accessory that you spin over your head. And so you're oh driving God. with one hand and you're lassoing animals with the other. It's so cool. I, do they have that in uh, over there in that arcade in Chicago? No, no, they don't. I played it once at like a gas station on a road trip or something. Like I don't know why they it's had so, it. It's so crazy, like little nooks and crannies in these random places that you find these like arcade machines that are super rare. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. Um, but I mean, that just goes to show how varied and unique their games are um am3 would later be known as hitmaker and they would create more virtual on games as well as virtua tennis and of course crazy taxi which i think is their defining franchise oh yeah for sure for sure like that that arcade machine was like in every movie theater like every place you went Mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy well it's crazy taxi yeah it's true yeah um (laughs) And so let's see what else we got to say about that. So what are your thoughts on AM3 and Hitmaker? And how do you think they compare to other studios at the time within Sega? You know, it's it's kind of funny. Like when you look at the history of Sega AM1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. they have a lot of similarities. Like they all do race like some sort of car game. And then like, you know, when they talked about Crazy Taxi, they talked about how they were forced to make a car game for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they made Crazy Taxi, but I mean, maybe it's just Sega telling them what to do at the time, like, oh, make this type of game or make this type of game. Yeah. But uh, they they were just like not sitting still, like even their virtual tennis game is like when I played that, I was like, this is the best tennis game I've ever played. Like, I remember my friend putting it in and he's like, I have a demo for this uh, virtual tennis game. And then he, he wanted to play it. And I was like, man, I don't want to play tennis. Tennis is terrible. Yeah. And then we played it, and we literally played it all day. Like, the whole day. Like, we didn't take it out. It was so fun. So, like, they take concepts, and they add a unique twist to them. And uh, I think that's what made them them. Like, Crazy Taxi is a car game on the surface, but it's, like, totally different than any other car game you've ever played. Oh, absolutely. Um, And, I mean, wouldn't you say that about most of Sega's, like, arcade titles? Because it's not... It's not what the game is, but it's like how it plays. For example, I'm not a big tennis fan. If you told me, hey, let's go out to the courts and play some tennis, I'd be like, yeah, I'm all right. But if you said, let's play a Sega tennis game, the rule, like the idea of playing tennis does not apply. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I just know I'm going to be playing a fun game that just happens to look like tennis. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a thing with arcade manufacturers. I think they were all trying to get like a concept that was already popular, but add a unique twist to it so it could continue selling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one that we everybody will know about is Outrun, literally saying that it's not a racing game, it's a driving game, even though technically you're racing against the clock. Right. Uh, this one is more of like a uh, making money game, basically. You're t- literally a taxi driver, right? And on this one, you're a street anime game with uh, weapons, which, to be honest with you, at this time was still really rare. Yeah. Like, I, I can't really think of many 3D fighters w- outside of, like, Soul's Edge and Soul Calibur that had weapons, so, yeah. Yeah, and let's get into that. So, despite looking like an offshoot of Virtual Fighter or Fighting Vipers, AM3 developed a new engine for Last Bronx, which actually surprised me. I'm like, why would you go through all that effort when you got a team down <laughs> down the hall probably with a game engine that you could just straight up use. Uh, 
But while Virtua Fighter is seen more as a technical fighter and Fighting Vipers is more of an extreme fighter with an armor system, Last Bronx was envisioned as a story-led fighter with motion-captured weapons. So how do you think Last Bronx compares to AM2's fighters, and how does it compare to a game like Namco's Soul Edge? You're, you're going to hate me for this, but mm-hmm. I've never played Soul Edge, ever. <laughs> um, I remember when I was like younger, you know, like... I don't know if you remember when they used to have games like I was ha- I was lucky enough to have a PlayStation One, but like back in the day, like Walmart had like a whole freaking like aisle of twenty dollar uh, PlayStation One games, and they had like almost every hit. Like no other console could like really like I guess compete with how many hits they had. And I almost bought Soul Edge when I was younger, but I never did. So I don't know how it compares to that, but I do know that it's pretty unique in sega fighters like this one has more of a uh attitude to it like virtual fighter seems kind of like the characters are just there because street fighter did this so we did this too and um uh i guess fighting vipers is one of the ones where it's like wow this is extreme like everything's like ridiculous like you have a rocker dude a skateboarding dude yeah um and this one was a i guess like you said it was motion i didn't even know there was motion captured but the animation was pretty cool for the weapons yeah yeah it definitely stood out and you know i'll be honest like at the time sega was doing a lot of um reactions to other games in the market and so you'd like for example you'd play outrun and it just seems like a better game than most racers at the time and it's almost like last bronx was competing with sega's Virtua Fighter. You know what I mean? Like, if you were to compare it, really, outside of, I guess, Soul Edge, like, it, it did seem to do things, some things better than Virtua Fighter, both technically and, uh, and visually. So, which game came out first, actually? Soul Edge or this game? Let's find out. Computer. Tell us, computer. Please tell us the answer. Computer. Because, uh, like, I do know that, like... December 95. Soul- Oh, yeah, so they are definitely trying to compete. Like, there's this whole thing in the mid-90s where, like, Sega would do something in 3D, then Namco would do something that's eerily similar, or vice versa. Like, right. The, it, and I even extended to the 80s, like we talked about. Shinobi and Rolling Thunder that we never even knew existed. Yeah. Um. So it's like, it's almost like these arcade companies are like, oh, yeah, that's a nice idea. Let me take it and, t- and do a twist on it. And no one really noticed because it's like, you know, no no one was on the internet going, hey, guys, did you actually notice that it's pretty, you know, none of that was going on. People (laughs) just buy, just play what they like. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, I'd agree there. I think, I've never played Soul Edge. I watched some footage before this, but I feel it does definitely feel along those lines. It feels like it might have been a reaction to that. I can... I, I couldn't find much on the background of the game in the terms of like why they made this because as you'll see as we go through this like it doesn't nothing really seems like necessary like it wasn't like they were like we need to make another fighting game <laughs> you know um, so again I can only imagine it must have been someone saying hey can we do a reaction to Soul Edge and they were like well AM2 is not doing it so why don't you guys do it yeah, that's true. And not only that, like just how popular the resurgence of these 3D games for like the arcades in Japan. Like I, I was watching this documentary about how like the 80s were the good days or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like 
they, these places were dying down, and then when uh, Street Fighter Two happened, and all these like three D fighters happened too, like Virtual Fighter, mm-hmm. it boomed the the traffic. So I could see them just trying to keep up, like, oh my god, let's let's put everything we have on in making three D games to make money off of uh, this comeback in arcades. Yeah, that's really what it felt like. And um, let's see here. Well, maybe we can get into a little bit of the development. Well, here's a little gameplay first. This isn't all that. You know, uh, the game um, has a best two out of three fighting game structure with enclosed arenas and no ring outs. The Virtua Fighter punch, kick, and guard system is in place, and like any other fighter, button and stick combinations yield various moves. So, do you think Last Bronx could have done more to stand out from AM2's fighters? Well, yeah, I mean, they literally just copied the controls from Virtual Fighter, so that maybe that I think subconsciously that's what made me think oh this is an am2 game right like when i first played it i was like like when you told me it has a new engine and stuff i'm like why like yeah. it feels like it's in the virtual fighter engine why yeah. bother and i'm trying to think of like if something ever like this happened before i mean you know smile bit was doing like 3d platforming with jet set radio well sonic team existed and they could have easily just used an engine from Sonic Team maybe, but I, I feel like they did enough to make it feel different. Whereas here, no slam on Last Bronx, but just it seems like a lot of extra effort that yeah. they didn't need to do. Like they could have just made this game on the the Virtua Fighter engine. I don't know why they didn't. Um, maybe it was I, maybe they don't want to go to the other team and say, "Hey, can we use your stuff?" Pride, pride, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, here's... So the thing that they did do is putting an emphasis on story. And I, I'll be honest, I tried to, like, condense this down, and it made no sense <laughs> condensed. So I yeah, just... Yeah, it's one of those overcomplicated anime stories. Yeah, and so I, I figured we got the time. We got all night. So I'm going to uh, just read the story real quick. Well, as fast as I can. So Tokyo was riding high on a two... A, it up on a tsunami of global <laughs> economic supremacy when the bubble broke in 1991 then things fell apart 100 billion yen building complexes were left unfinished and salarymen started having instant ramen for lunch as the slush money supplies dried up and slowly the hidden japan the, 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 the hidden japan began to emerge crawling in from the shadows of the outskirts of town biker gangs and chinese mafia loan sharks and slave traders Doomsday cults, madmen, and thieves. These were the day of the first all-Tokyo street war, where young gangs met and dashed and slid in to run-down streets, slick with their own blood. Oh my god. Then a single so crew cute. of unstoppable bosozukos appeared and put an end to the violence and bloodshed. Through fair-handed dealings and iron-fisted fighting skills, the Soul Crew gang... That's funny. Soul Crew, and we've got like Soul Blade, Soul Caliber. Hmm. Yeah. Mm, I wonder where you got that from. <laughs> yeah. The Soul Crew gang blazed a path for the future of Tokyo's young until. Yeah, until under circumstances still riddled with doubt and accusations, the leader of the Soul Crew was viciously killed. The tenuous balance of power was thrown out. This is a 3D fighting game, remember? Yes, this is a 3D fighting game. Yes. The tenuous battle of power was thrown out of whack, and every street 
tribe with pride, dreams, and ambition felt the shockwave of his fall like a call to arms. The second street war was ignited. So just, that's not even the story setup. That's the background to the story setup. This is the history. This is the lore. (laughs) This is the lore. So at the fight of the hiding, an ominously worded challenge to the leaders of the toughest gangs appeared in graffiti scrawls all over town. Fellow citizens... We all grow weary of this bitter strife, so now I call on each of you in the name of peace. You all know how useless these recent squabbles are. This is a graffiti scrawl. This is long. I have a modest proposal to remedy this unfortunate situation. I call for a fighting tournament solely between the chosen leaders of each worthy gang. A decision battle that will spare the lives of the young while settling the question of which group has the power to rule Tokyo. Of course, the fights will be held in secrecy and the results will not be made public. This is a fair for honor. This is a fight for honor, not fame. A final word. This is still a graffiti on a wall. Yes. Uh, all over the city. So they wrote this multiple times. Uh, I regret that under no circumstances can a refusal to participate be accepted. In the event that any of you do not attend, I will make arrangements to have flowers sent to the funeral. I look forward to meeting each of you at the appointed hour. Signed, Red Rum. Red Rum. Several of the participants of this very peculiar challenge shrugged it off as a practical joke or thought it was a trap set by a rival gang. But then members of their crews were found dead in Tokyo Bay. The truth of its warning became very clear. There will be no RSVPs to the last Bronx. Um, so we're gonna discuss the plot. So like, what the, f- what? It's like it's like somebody at Sega was like, I really really like Akira, Akira the movie with yeah. the street gangs and stuff. Yeah. And then they and then they really thought about how like how in Tokyo in Japan there was like an economic boom in the eighties. Yeah. Like we even they even had Tokyo, uh, Yakuza Zero take place in this uh, era. And, like, the bubble did burst in 1991. So, like, they were thinking, worst case scenario, we're all going to be in gangs. And uh, it's kind of like, it reminds me of, like, you could tell right here that they like they, Red Rum. Like, they like uh, Stanley Kubrick films. Yeah. And this kind of reminds me of a little bit of, like, Clockwork Orange vibe to it, right? Mm-hmm. With, like, anime. So, I, I see where they, they got their influence from. I mean, do you see the Stanley Kubrick influence in this at least yeah i I do in a few areas i mean especially um with (laughs) with the red rum and of course uh uh, clockwork orange yeah um it's i mean it's a cool plot it's actually like if you were to say like list the top five games where the plot is more is deserving of a better game no slam on this but like i would love to see this plot in a yakuza style game you know? It kind of even like like the whole idea that they like graffiti this is pretty cool, but the fact that it's so long it kind of makes it ridiculous. But like that every like city is like, hey guys, out in the open, everybody knows there's a challenge. Are you guys man enough to do it and stuff? Yeah, that's yeah. cool. It's it's a, it's a way cooler take than the whole like, oh Street Fighter. Everybody got all the world's best fighters got invited to the tournament. This is more like there's some actual like these guys are gang leaders, so they have to in honor, you know. So yeah. it's a little different than that. And it, it kind of reminds me, too, of um, Jet Set Radio Future. They did have kind of a plot there where, remember, all the gangs were, like, put into this arena to play, like, that murder ball game or whatever? Yeah, and that's a, another thing. It's like you could kind of see 
them like uh, later on use ideas like these kind of gangs for like I guess Jet Set Radio and graffiti like yeah if they tell you like one of the characters from this game is gonna be in the next Jet Set Radio game if they ever <laughs> make another one you'd be like that's cool it makes sense I mean they you know yeah but, yeah and, and so the roster it has um, eight characters as we discussed and they're all I mean they're all kind of interesting I'll be honest like they all look kind of boring. Some of them look really boring to me. Um, no, yeah, no, you're right. This is one of the issues with this game. And not only that, it only eight. Like, come on. And they're all, I mean, they're all white from what I can tell. <laughs> right? I, that, well, I mean, the funniest thing is that this whole thing takes place in Japan. But they're all white guys. Like, come yeah. on, Japan. Do you guys really hate foreigners? That You guys say you guys hate foreigners, but you really, really like putting on these white boys in these games, right? Like, I'm not trying to be a dick, but like... It's like they get the most generic. I think they just think that in America we just we only played games with white people in them because all our movies maybe in the '90s were mostly white leads. Right. So, I mean, I, I guess know. I guess I'm just kind of surprised that they didn't do that Japanese trope where it's like a big black guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? Just um, give us one. I mean, right? since there's since there's only eight, I'm just gonna go through here real quick because so we'll let's see. So we have. Yusaku Kudo, who's from mm-hmm. Neo Soul. We have Joe Inagaki. Hey, like Joe Musashi, remember? We were like, why is he called Joe? He's Japanese. Uh, 23-year-old boss of the Shinjuki Mad. I'm reading all these because there's a few that I really like. Uh, there's Lisa Kusanami, who's from the Orchids. And it's a music band. <laughs> um, and Perfect. a gang. And um, Hiroshi Tami. Tami of the Helter Skelter gang, which is kind of creepy because it's, I think, the 50th anniversary of Helter Skelter, you know, the, the creepy crawls yeah. going on um, in Hollywood. And we have Yoko Kono of the G Troops, and she's the sister of Red Eye, who's the villain, who we'll talk about in a sec. Um, we have Saburo Zaimoko of the Katsushi. Dumpsters. <laughs> um, Perfect name. That's that would be the gang I would join. Obviously, uh, we have Toru Kurosawa of the Rapanogi Hardcore Boys. <laughs> Hardcore boy. See these games like remind me of like like silly names like uh, from Jetta Radio. Yeah, in this one, this is the one. I don't. Yeah, Nagi Hojo. Do you want to know what her name is? Her other name is. <laughs> Notice how all these names are all super Japanese, but like Lisa or whatever, Yoko, they, they look American, sorry. But yeah. So Nagi Hojo is also known as the Raving Lesbian. <laughs> and she has blonde hair, obviously, and looks like Android yep. whatever from uh, Dragon Ball. Yeah, and um, she's from Dogma Gang of the Rainbow Bridge area of Tokyo, and it says she's a feminist. So good for her. Wow, we have representation for our, our lesbian sisters out there. Right, That's of course. Cool. Actually, I mean, I, I don't know how she's really depicted, but, you know, good on them. I just think the name The Raving Lesbian is kind of like... Uh, <laughs> it sounds like something like a right-winger would say. I feel somebody. like we'd get kicked off Twitter if we if we said this. Yes, yes. 
oh boy, more more words from the raving lesbian. <laughs> They'd be like, who, what? And we're like, no, we're talking they about probably, they, they probably thought they were so slick. They were probably like, okay, she's a lesbian and she likes raves, so she's the raving lesbian. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, the last guy is Red Eye, and uh, he was formerly known as Ken Kono, the co-founder and former boss of the G-Troop gang. And this is a guy that refused the Red Rum Challenge, and he got so badly injured in a fire by Red Rum that his anger made him evil. And eventually he turned into Red Eye and became yeah. an agent for Red Rum. How and, that happens, who knows? But yeah. like, I like the fact that his whole like look kind of reminds me of Tetsuo from like uh, Akira. He has the spiked up hair. And then he has like uh, these like glasses, but then he has like a vest, but no shirt underneath. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He looks kind of cool. That, that's something that they've been doing with this game a lot. Where like I don't know, I I, I like some of the costumes. Like um, my favorite probably would be the Tommy guy. Mm -hmm. I like his like orange pants, green uh, jacket. I think that color combination is really cool. I like how uh, they use these like baggy jeans. They were more popular in the '90s. I think. Now more people into more like fitted jeans, um, but yeah, like each of these characters has their own backstory. But like, which one of these characters I guess you played as when you played this game? Um, I pick I pick typically the main guy. Uh, what's his name? The guy with Yusaku the two uh, Kudo. Yeah, the guy with the little two things or whatever they're like the I don't know what they're called. Yeah, or I'd probably pick the raving lesbian. Oh, oh, I see. Um, and I'm actually I'm looking at the the booklet here. So they've got Yusaku. So they do use the names. We have Joe, Lisa, Tommy, Yoko. Yeah, they're all here. Sup Nagi. Um, I'm just interested. I don't know. I'm not like okay. So I just I really think it's interesting the way Sega of America and like Sega of Japan will handle um, gay or trans characters like i and i i say that because we had shenmue 2 remember with the, yeah with the trans yeah uh the trans character who sega of america had a woman voice but japan had a man voice um so in the booklet here for for nagi hojo it says just because i'm the only daughter of a zaibatsu director's family doesn't mean i have to be spoiled rotten and nasty but i am anyway I formed the Dogma crew with one one rule only, no boys allowed. I don't hate men, I just expect them to serve me. And if pigs of Kurosawa can, can't handle it, they can tell it to my business end of my sigh. That tomboy Yoko, on the other hand, is welcome to join us whenever she wants. And so they definitely don't tell you she's um, a lesbian, but they definitely hint at it. Um, she sounds like a raving lesbian to me. Yeah, <laughs> but she wants this one girl to join them. Anyway, she uh, has a crush. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I'm with that Toro guy, the, the guy with the bat and the headband. I always thought he was kind of slick with the with the purple suit, and he, I mean, he's a hardcore boy. Uh, I think you could appreciate that, right? Oh yeah, I'm a hardcore boy too. Yeah, of course. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so. The director and project leader of the game, Akinomo Abe, had this to say about the visual style. So the game was designed to be quite realistic with a realistic style and people. Last Bronx characters were, their clothing was based on current Tokyo street fashions. 
like, do you see that? Does this look realistic to you? I mean, I, I have seen some, like, Japanese fashion, but, like, to me, it seems, like, a little extreme. Like, I don't feel like Japanese people... I mean, the main characters, yeah. Like, Red Rum is kind of, like, army outfit mm-hmm. with, like, no shirt, a little sexy. The other ones, I guess I could see where they're coming from. Like, when the more I look at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see what they mean with that... But, like, how about the guy with the shirtless, with the tribal tattoos? That's, like, not Japanese at all. Like, come on. But some of these characters, I could totally see it. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with him. And I think this is another thing that uh, worked, I guess, more for their benefit in Jet Set Radio. Uh, like, like I said, this is a sleeper game. I wish more people played it because I actually c- quite like it. I think it's a really unique gym uh, that, like, was overlooked when all these like fighters came out. But if somebody asked me, would I rather them play this or fighting Vipers? I don't know. It's kind of hard, you know, it's cause like I like anime and I like 3d fighters. So I obviously like this more. Right. So it depends on your, on your, what you like, but yeah, this is definitely a definitely worth putting in your collection. Like we said in the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'd say I do like this game more than Fighting Vipers. Just because Fighting Vipers to me felt so similar to Virtua Fighter that it's like if I had a choice, I'd rather have a game that feels a little more different. Um, I remember at the time I had Virtua Fighter, Virtua Fighter 2, Virtua Fighter Remix, Virtua Fighter Kids, um, so much Fighting Virtua Vipers, Fighter back then. and uh, Fighters Mega Mix. Like it's almost all the same game. No, no offense to Fighters Mega Mix, and you know, yeah. Sega but, really like they really needed uh, games that were three D, and they're like, let's milk the virtual fighter stuff. Oh, absolutely. And um, one other thing graphically that I didn't really mention was that uh, the weapons during development it was they were hard to see, and so they did a motion blur effect that left after images. Do you remember this effect? And how do you think? Yeah. How do you think it worked? It's, did it work well for you? It, yeah, it, it worked fine for me, but I. I I didn't really like it's one of those little things that when you start looking into fighting games and like the like why does virtue like why does Street Fighter have like big old hands in the new game? It's because it's easier to see punches, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things you don't really think about and like now I notice when I play fighting games, like when I play Mortal Kombat, the little hands and stuff, it it, it gets kinda hard for me to read sometimes, but and this one, the little like shadowing thing, I never really thought about it, but I just thought it was a cool effect. But yeah, I think it, it, it worked fine for me, at least, when I played it. I never had trouble looking at the items or anything. How about mm-hmm. you? Yeah, it was one of the things that stood out to me when I first saw the game. I knew it had weapons, but the 60 frames per second, which, you know, I guess at the time, 2010, I was aware of, but it, I wasn't really putting numbers to frames. I never did that. I, I Looking at the back of the box, they do mention 60 frames per second, but that never really was something that I understood. I just knew it looked smoother. Um, yeah, like when you play a game, you're like, wait, this is a little off. And then you look more into it. Oh, 30 yeah, frames. Yeah, it, it almost felt like hyper-realistic. Um, yeah. And so that combined with the uh, the motion blur, I thought it looked really cool. Um, I didn't know that it was because it was hard to see the weapons, but that makes sense. Like they these little tiny nunchucks that are probably pixelated and, you know, already on a Saturn difficult to see. It, it makes sense. Um, let's see. So we have a little bit of development history. Not a lot of stuff has been written online about this that I could dig up. 
And I even feel like magazines at the time kind of blew over it, and you'll see why. So in February 96, AM3 had a demo ready for the uh, AOU show. And it's interesting to note that because December 95, Soul Edge came out. So this is only two months later. Um, it's more like they were probably working on it at the same time. Yeah. And maybe they started to push the weapons more because of Soul Edge. I'm not sure. Because, I mean, um, I'm trying to remember, like, Fighting Vipers did have, like, guitars and other weapons, right? Like, it, it wasn't the main thing about the game, but it had some weapons, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Um... But what's weird here, so Sega would not allow them to show the game off at the show because AM2's fighters already were being demoed, and Sega feared that yet another 3D fighter would divide media, media and industry attention. So as such, the arcade original did not see much pre-release publicity. And so do you think this was a smart move on Sega's part? And Fuck do no. you think no. that this played a part in AM3 not continuing with 3D fighting games? Uh, hell yeah. I think they were like, oh, so you have too many? Why are we, like, putting our heart and soul into making a fighting game? Like, if you read the story and you read all their background and, like, the gang stuff, and they they put a lot of thought into it. They put yeah. a lot more thought that uh, most 3D fighters put into. Um, and they wanted to stand out, so they did a lot of, like, oh, it's going to be more anime-based. It's not like it was unique at the time. I mean, Dark Stalkers and, like... Um, Rival schools from Capcom are very anime. Uh, Alpha series was very anime. So they were, they were thinking of going more the anime way compared to Virtual Fighter. Uh, I, mean, I mean, how would you feel if you put all this like <laughs> heart and like soul into your game and then Sega's like, actually, we have too many fighters now. Obviously, it's you're going to move on to something else. Yeah, it's weird. And that's almost what makes me wonder if this was actually a project that AM3 did want to take on. Because if Sega forced it on them, I think they'd be more than happy to have it shown off at shows. Um, yeah. But instead, you know, like you see here, they didn't show it February 96. The game was going to come out to arcades in 96. So it's almost like they just pushed it out to arcades and were done with it. Um, so no, I don't think this was a smart move at all on Sega's part. It's like, if you... If you really believe in them, you're going to show the game alongside the AM2 fighters because, and just push the differences more. Say this is a weapons-based game, it's really deep story, yada yada, and just you know push that stuff. I think it's kind of a, I I mean okay, so if I worked for AM3, I'd probably be a little pissed off that AM2 gets to show off their 2D or 3D fighters whenever they want because that's their thing, and it's like oh so if I want to make a 3D fighter. I guess I'm always going to be second to AM2, even in my own company's eyes. Like that's not, not even not even that. They were like third. Like uh, yeah. they had they gave more attention to uh, uh, fighting vipers. Like that at least got ads over here. I remember even like or at least like magazine ads. This I I don't remember any advertisement at least in America for it. Like, can you remember anybody any ads when you were a kid like flipping through old magazines or anything? No, not for this one. And I mean, I know I'm saying, you know, that they didn't continue with 3D fighting games. Obviously, they made Virtual On, um, mm. which we were actually considering to doing do for this episode. And I'm glad we didn't because I think this is a good thing to talk about before eventually talking about Virtual On. But um, that's a very different game in the sense that it's much more tied to the arcade hardware, which was their strength. Um, like mm. I mentioned, there was that Lasso game. 
um, the twin sticks, you know, they definitely had unique um, controls with some of their games. And so I, I just, I feel like Virtual On is a very different beast from a AM2 style fighter. I always thought for a long time when I was a kid, I another game from Sega that I thought was made by the guys that did Virtual Fighter was uh, Virtual On because of the mm. name probably, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. Oh, and the game is Jumbo Safari. That's what I was thinking. Of. Jumbo Safari. Right. Yeah. I, I so want you, now. I want to play it because, like, you have a rope. You're saying, right? You so we I'm get. I'm pretty sure it. It's showing pictures here of a little. Um, you do like like it's like a a little spinny um, joystick. But I could have sworn that I sat in a sit down version and it had like a rope that I would swing around. God, I, I really miss the days when like Sega used to make like sit down arcades, you know, and they were like pretty awesome. I know they did the Daytona one, and it has the whole like sixteen connected ones again. But like right. back then, you would walk in, you're like, "What is this?" And then you would sit down, and it would have like rumble, and it was just an amazing experience usually because like you didn't even know what to expect. Like when you play Jurassic Park in in, in arcade, it's like, oh yeah. What? What is this? What is the game going to be about? Obviously, killing dinosaurs for babies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, and maybe it wasn't a rope. I think it might have been like a weird joystick you wiggle, but it was it was weird. Um, so let's see. Oh yes. So the Saturn version was also developed by AM3, and the work started on that in November '96. And the first demo released Tokyo Game Show in April 97. So finally, Sega was like, you can show the Saturn version off. Uh, the, the team thought that the fast weapons movement was the game's key appeal, and they worked hard to retain the arcade version 60 frames per second. Surprisingly, despite being over two years into the Saturn's life, none of the team had ever made a Saturn game. According to the director Abe, Collision detection was the most difficult part of the weapons because more complex, it was more complex than hand-to-hand -hand combat. So I think um, translating that to the Saturn hardware was a very a difficult thing for them, a challenge, yeah. Um, it was impossible to recreate texture mapping on metal objects, which led to them using visual tricks. And I didn't know this. This is a really cool fact. So the key feature to the Saturn port was the polygonal backgrounds something all other home console 3D fighters lacked at the time. So when you mm. were in the ring outside, there was more, there 2D. was geometry. It wasn't just a flat yeah. background. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that sort of aesthetic has come to define Virtua Fighter, where they're just in this endless space, um, yeah, with maybe yeah. like, a, like a town way in the background. Um, mm -hmm. So knowing that Last Bronx was their first Saturn game, which is kind of funny, you have Last in the title, it's your first Saturn game. Um, how would you rate two. their work? Um, yeah, they did and it, it probably was their last Saturn game. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm dying. Um, yeah. they did a great job. I, I, it was, it was one of those games where I liked the graphics. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back, like my 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 initial imp impressions. Uh, I was impressed with the game, but like, did I notice that the backgrounds were 3D? I'm trying to remember. It's like. It's one of those things that I didn't really notice back then until like I played, I want to say like a Final Fantasy game, and I'm like, wait, this isn't 3D. I'm walking around in a 2D picture, and then yeah. I started looking at other games that were doing this trick, and I'm like, oh, it's a trick so you can make the the models look better, 
And then I, I think I, I, I know for sure I noticed it on the virtual, uh, virtual fighter two. Mm-hmm. Uh, some games did a lot better in hiding it. Um, this game is obviously uh, had 3D backgrounds. That's in, very impressive, especially for your first game. Mm-hmm. And I I do know that AM1 and AM2 get like the most credit for being like really really good at uh te- in the technical level. I think AM3 uh should you know get more eyes about that because they're on par. I would say on like how they ported this. Like I always think of Virtual Fighter 2 as the best, but like technically, I mean this has. I mean, they did a pretty damn good job with this. And it's a new engine, which is even more impressive. I just I just assume they use the Virtual Fighter 2 engine. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of extra work being done that wasn't necessary, but it's great that they're pushing themselves, that this game was not a, um, you know, slapdash, just attempt to make more money by, make a weapons-based game, Throw them the AM2 engine, you know, half-ass it. Don't put the backgrounds in. Don't do 60 frame per second. Like, it's clear that a lot of work went into this game. And they didn't stop there. So the game did release to PC in 1998. The Saturn modes were retained, but the graphics were closer to the arcade original. And um, after this, I mean, AM3, they, they didn't continue down the path of 3D fighters, really. Uh, Last Bronx, though Last Bronx did prove popular enough, to see comics, a direct-to-video movie, radio dramas. Radio dramas. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's so weird. Like, when's the last time you heard of a, a, a game that came out in the 90s? Like, have you heard the radio drama of this badass game? <laughs> Welcome like, no. to Last Bronx. You know, it'd be like, this is the end for you, Last Red Rum. Oh, you got me again. Um, <laughs> you raving lesbian? <laughs> yeah. There was also a Sega Ages PS2 release, which I'd love to see. I... Honestly, this should be a part of the Sega Ages Switch collection. Don't say it. They might announce it after we do this podcast. <laughs> they and might. We'll be like, we, we, we knew do. the whole time. We knew <laughs> we, it. We did. Sega tells us what to what to cover. That's why we did Monkey Ball. They were like, no, I'm just kidding. No. Um, or am I? Because or if I, I say that, then you'll keep listening because then it's... Anyway. Um, so what would you say the impact of Last Bronx is... On 3D Fighters, do you see it as an important game in the genre and for Sega? This is going to be controversial because I really do like this game. Like, I have a lot of memories growing up playing with my friends with it. And uh, I always remember being obsessed with, like, just the crazy story. Like, uh, I guess Mad Max, like, gangs infest Tokyo. Uh, a thing that probably never going to happen over there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I like that. I like all that stuff. But, like... It really didn't leave a, 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 a mark because, like, Soul Calibur is the one that's known as the Weapons Fighter. We just had a sixth release. It's going to have a Season 2 DLC characters. So, to me, it's like, oh, Sega, you, you could have made more games into this. And probably, like, even if it had a sequel on Dreamcast, yeah, I, I could see something. But, like, I don't know. I think Sega really slept on this. It's one of those, like, franchises that, like just released when there were so many fighting games. Like, the mid-90s was ridiculous for fighting games. I, we could sit here and I could just name fighting games and it would be an hour podcast with just me naming titles. <laughs> uh, so, sadly, no, I don't think it had an impact. I don't think it was big for Sega. I, that's why they left. I think Virtual On for Sega was probably a bigger legacy for AM3. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crazy Taxi was a bigger legacy. 
It's kind of mm. reminds me of that skateboarding game, Top Skater or whatever that they released in arcades where it's like, I remember it. People that uh, used to come with me remember it, but compared to like Daytona or Crazy Taxi, it's like a blimp in arcades. Yeah, you know, as, as big a Sega fan as I am, I can't bend the truth or try to create some alternate history where this game really did make an impact. I think maybe within Sega themselves, technically, it did do a lot. Um, it definitely gave that team <laughs> the ability to learn how to make a Saturn game, but then the Dreamcast was on the horizon, so maybe that helped them there um, from a development perspective, just to push the hardware um, so I just gonna ask. We didn't even talk about this, but what's mm-hmm. your? Okay, so the game takes place in Japan. We know that, right? Yeah. Um. The but it's called the Last Bronx. Like, it has nothing to do with New York. Yeah. Um, it has a like. What do? You, what is your? I like. You think they should have changed the name maybe to like? I don't know. I, Weapon Mega Mix or I don't know something that has to do more with weapons. Like if you see the Last Bronx back then. When I was yeah. a kid, the first thing I thought, and I already told you before we even started this podcast, uh, Rumble in the Bronx with Jackie Chan. And I'm like, did they just watch Rumble in the Bronx? And they're like, oh my God, look at these gangs in New York. Our ass. We're going to make our game called The Last Bronx. Yeah, it's it's weird because, you know, the, the word Bronx, it's tied to the one Bronx. of the, the five boroughs of New York. And yes. looking at it here, it's people, I think it's based on a name. Like a person's name. Yeah. So like, it's when you see it, you're not thinking like this is a fighting game right here, right? No, Last Bronx? no. You're not thinking of really a f- well. I mean, well, you know, there were there was a Jackie Chan fighting movie taking place in the Bronx, and the whole thing was filmed in Canada. So was it filmed in Canada? Yeah. Oh man, my Sorry. whole perspective of life is done, <laughs> dude. I used to love that movie. It was so good. Wait, God. used to. You should still Used to. Love it it's still good. It's still Thank great. You. It Thank held you. like Bloodsport. Get out of here, Bloodsport. You suck. Oh, Last Bronx. That okay. Bloodsport's pretty cool in the cheesy way, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think they could have done a better title. I think they could have done more marketing with it. I think they did try to push the weapons on the cover of the U.S. one, um, but when you don't really have commercials or a big print campaign to go behind that, it doesn't help. Um, and, and it's funny because like Soul Calibur is probably like almost a lot of people that like like fighting games on the on the Dreamcast. Everybody says Soul Calibur is one of the best fighting games I've ever played in my life. So like, yeah, could have had a Last Bronx too on Dreamcast and maybe under a new title because you know Soul Edge became Soul Calibur. Who knows? Um, <laughs> do you have any other stories to share from the game before we drop in our Patreon supporters? No, I do not. So I guess we could end this episode. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you support us on Patreon, of course you get this show about three or four days early. You also, at certain tiers, get to tell us what to cover. Um, You also get to leave your memories and have your memories shared at the end of the show. We have a uh, decent amount of people, but I want to add more. So I don't know what to do except please support us. And so here are the two people that left comments for this week's. It came a little late, but uh, you know, better than nothing. So we have, (laughs) this is my favorite. Uh, Daniel says, what is this game? (laughs) I've never seen, (laughs) I've never seen nor heard of it. It looks interesting. I cannot wait to see slash hear the episode on it. 
So this would technically be my first memory of the game. Now you know. Yeah. Uh, Bad Sonic said I had loved it, a Soul Calibur-like fighting game. They even said Soul Edge here. With cool intro, my friends liked Virtua Fighter more, so I played it mostly by myself. Well, if you ever want to play it, I'm sure George and I would love to play it. And um, The intro was pretty awesome, though. The intro was awesome, and I also want to check out the uh, direct-to-video movie. And um, before we wrap things up, like I mentioned, Rumble in the Bronx came out in 95 to Asian audiences and 96 to the U.S., so... The word Bronx definitely synonymous with fighting. So I want to hear, what's your favorite scene from Rumble in the Bronx? When he slaps the antenna on his ass. I like the fighting scene with the pinball machine. Remember that? Oh, yeah. When he does the the Ryu uh, back throw. Yeah. And, you know, Sega reference, there is a Game Gear, remember, in Rumble in the Bronx that doesn't have a cartridge. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the um, the wife to Uncle Bill who goes, ooh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie. All right, yeah. guys. All right. We'll see you next time on episode 25. See ya. Later.